We just pray that, though in the physical realm we see things in such a painful, grievous way, in the spiritual realm we'll see that God can accomplish His great kingdom purposes. Welcome to the Pioneers in Europe podcast. I am Mark. I'll be your host again as we check in on the continuing crisis in Ukraine. Today we have special guests, uh, Ruth and Jim. Uh, welcome to the show, Ruth and Jim. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We are super interested to hear from you. Um, why don't you just go ahead and give us a little bit of background of where you come from, uh, what you do, and yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. Well, most of our U.S. life is connected to California. I came to California as a 13-year-old, and Ruth was born there. And uh, Ruth and I both were very active Christians as college students at our university. And uh, I remember my first real significant conversation with Ruth. uh, She said, I'm going to be a missionary. And... uh, we both ended up being active in a student outreach at our university. And halfway through my college, I got tapped to uh, participate in a confidential uh, outreach project that sent university students to the Soviet Union on tourist visas to practice contact evangelism in areas of the world that were closed to Christian testimony. So in the summer of 1985, I got a start in cross-cultural ministry, and uh, I really sensed in the middle of that summer that God broke into my life, not with an audible voice, but a very clear voice saying that he was calling me to this part of the world. Um, And that started a decades-long journey that has allowed me to minister both in Soviet times and post-Soviet times uh, in Moscow uh, as a single then uh, was home, did some seminary. Ruth and I <laughs> reacquainted after being apart, uh, after having known each other in college as co-students, got married, and we did four years, is that right, in St. Petersburg? Mm-hmm. Four and a half, five years. Uh-huh. And had a term of work at Pioneers headquarters, and then we came back and had another four-year, five-year term in Moscow. Uh, then a three-year term in the Republic of Moldova and its capital, Chisinau. And mm, then we did uh, seven years being U.S.-based with a Pioneer's ministry called Encountering the World of Islam. And just a little bit less than two years ago, the Lord opened the door for us to return again to overseas living. We moved to Kiev, to the suburb uh, city outside of Kiev called Irpin, and uh, we've been working specifically with the Ukrainian Baptist Union to help Ukrainians uh, send out cross-cultural missionaries to unreached people groups the world over. Is there anything you would add, Ruth? Well, that pretty much summarizes it. And it, somewhere in there, we had three children. <laughs> somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Two boys and a girl. Well, two, our two boys are in college, and our daughter's living with us. Uh, well, it was Ukraine a month ago. Now we are in Poland. She's 16. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you just in, in your story um, automatically probably raised the attention of, of our listeners. So much time in the Soviet Union and Russia and now Ukraine in the suburb of Kiev. So you mentioned at the end there that as of a month ago, that's where you were living. So let, let's walk up into that time and, and why did you leave and, and what, 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 is, what has happened in your lives in the last month? So I really appreciate being able to serve with Pioneers. And we came to Pioneers in 96 for a ministry that was focused on unreached people groups and that had really good quality care. And uh, Pioneers helps us make good contingency plans that have really helped us during the COVID crisis. And our contingency plan was getting updated. And we started to realize, okay, things are getting more tense it's very dangerous because of freezing temperatures. Uh, and we decided to go with the State Department's evacuation recommendation. Uh, in January. In January, and we came to Poland. It was around the, I think, the 26th of January, we mm -hmm. actually uh, landed. We had about 48 hours notice to get our stuff packed up and out of there. So... Mm -hmm. um, we had good farewells with neighbors that have already been very friendly to us, uh, particularly uh, a neighbor across the way is an Orthodox priest, but uh, we talk about our love for the Lord and the desire to share the news of Jesus with those who have not yet believed. Um, and uh, we felt a real strong connection. And then inside of where I was working was at the headquarters of the Ukrainian Baptist Union. Uh, and... Uh, kind of a hard leave taking and I was feeling that we're all going to laugh because this is not going to turn out to be anything yeah. bad and you're going to look at me like a chicken. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to him in just a moment. Um, mm -hmm. But tell me about last week when you decided to fly to a conference or something in Odessa and how, what happened there? So dislocation to Poland has been kind of a strategic move for us because the Ukrainian Baptist Union has about a third of its foreign missionaries actually working with Ukrainians that are in Europe. And so I was continuing to be really active uh, through Internet participation with the Foreign Missions Committee. And there's a big missions conference that happens each year in Ukraine. It's kind of like the Ukrainian Urbana in Odessa. And I was looking and thinking, okay, my wife and daughter can be safe and I'm going to put an extra contingency plan in and I'm going to go to this mission conference and help lead the Ukrainian Baptist delega delegation to the conference. Well, and up until this time, we really thought the worst that's going to happen is Putin's just going to take the Donbass region and he's just flexing his muscles and rattling his sabers, but it's really just going to be probably a little part of the eastern region. Um, and even if that were to happen, Odessa would be fine. It's not going to be touched by that. But make no mistake, there's no little part of a sovereign nation that you can take and not be breaking international law. Right. And not displacing innocent people. Um, but we, n None of us anticipated the scale and the scope of this when... But of course, you know, that's what the news is saying also. But even at the grassroots level, people have just been blown away mm -hmm. um and so we thought him going to odessa would be fine yeah in fact we were thinking <laughs> of how much longer are we going to have to live in poland 
maybe we right. can go back after this conference. Yeah, we were actually looking at March 8th as a target return date. Wow. Um, so anyways, landed in Odessa, and the first thing that my contingency plan was to make sure I immediately had my emergency communication and had my emergency food supply in case I had to shelter in place. Went into the grocery store straight from the airport uh, and bought my canned food and my water, and everyone seemed calm and full supply of toilet paper, canned food stacks, uh, no shortage. Um, although there was a bit of tension, uh, it, that when in the grocery store, we got the message that the government had elevated the level of civil alert and group meetings and sport events were now canceled, including our conference. And I said, that's, that's fine. Actually, I have some of the leading people of the mission committee coming here, and I've got some of my best teams that are working in Odessa right now. We're going to have a really cool uh, upper-level leadership meeting, even if there's no conference. And we had a great meeting, and uh, at 8, we said, okay, let's call it quits for tonight, and tomorrow morning, uh, we'll be back at it. And the, when the morning comes, right? Uh, 5 a.m.? Shortly after 4, the loud thuds on the horizon, and I checked my phone, uh, Ukraine airspace closed, like, okay, there's no return to Poland by air. And phone calls about uh, where the explosions are happening in Kiev. Uh, and the people we left to say they were living close to the airport. They said, yeah, lots of thuds here at the airport. Machine gun fire. Odessa airport. Odessa airport. And so we immediately enacted the contingency plan. And uh, my closest coworker, Pavel, rounded up all of his teammates, all of our delegates, and what's interesting is that until 7.30, there wasn't even a line at the gas station in Odessa. He topped off his tank for the last five gallons and headed up the road to Kiev watching uh, bombardments and smoke plumes of military installations that are to the left and the right of the main highway as they went. Um, but... Uh, and the Lord blessed me. I went to the bus station to get a ticket. Uh, the nearest border to Odessa is the border to Moldova, and I know people at that border on both sides and people in the capital from our years of being in Moldova and uh, got a seat in a bus, and the driver uh, felt he had the right to drive like an emergency vehicle. So when we hit the big long pileup of about five miles already by two in the afternoon, he just pulled into the oncoming lane traffic and drove to the front. And so I guess public buses were given the right to skip the line. And I was already in the capital of Moldova by dinner time and already having a strategic conversation with the Moldovan Baptist Union president about how they were preparing to receive the wave of refugees that, of whom I was among the first. So, yeah. wow. um, so you eventually got on a flight, went back to Warsaw? Is that correct? Yeah, Moldova airspace also closed. So I had to cross into Romania and... Uh, I caught up with Ruth, actually not in Warsaw, but down in Krakow, which was very strategic because we've 
well networked with the Ukrainian churches in Warsaw, but Ruth and Lisa were taking a, a chance to visit beautiful Krakow. And so the Sunday morning after the bombardment on Thursday, we were in two churches in Krakow uh, and uh, working with the Ukrainian immigrant response to receive people in Krakow. And so we suddenly have a very powerful triangle between our friend, our, our area leaders, Craig and Carolyn, who were on the previous podcast, uh, Ukrainian church leaders in Krakow, and Ukrainian church leaders here in Warsaw. And this is uh, a, a pretty strong triangle to help bring about uh, relief to immigrants, uh, to refugees. So, right. uh, so, so that was radical 48 hours. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's been what, eight or nine days now. So what was, um, what's that been like for you as you guys have now totally shifted ministry focus to, I'm assuming, refugee help? What does that look like? Yeah, I think Jim's been primarily helping uh, in the administrative role uh, in that uh, situation. I've, I've been trying to just... Um, deal with kind of my own uh, recovery from this whole process and trying to keep life as normal as possible for me and my daughter um, and Jim. So I have to be careful how close I get engaged uh, because there's even secondary stress that uh, affects people when they're working with people who are coming out of crisis. So um, (laughs) Jim's really been the one uh, on the mat, so to speak, with all this stuff. So this last week, uh, well, it's actually now the 10th day is just coming to the end. Uh, in 10 days, uh, the Ukrainian Baptist Church here in Warsaw and its response team has received and housed more than a 1,000 people, well over 100 new people each day. And they have marshaled a tremendous amount of uh, resource to send into Ukraine uh, to help deal with the places where there is shortage of food or need of medicines and mobilizing what they have is humanitarian clothing, settlement, then humanitarian uh, sort of food for people to need to have food taken to where they've been settled and uh, resource. Then they're doing logistics for relief inside of Ukraine. Uh, and in the midst of all this, uh, uh, the pastor of this church is receiving uh, sometimes 70 calls an hour uh, to his cell phone. Uh, so but they've got those starting to filter off into the settlement group, and there's probably a team of 20 very active volunteers, but that number is just is getting swamped by the ever-increasing growth. Um you want to talk about the trauma counseling yeah. program you're also working on? So the, the prong that uh, I really feel most inclined to towards is the question of uh, people re- counseling for people who are suffering from post-traumatic stress. And uh, the years we were in Russia, we helped in this area after the Beslan terror attack that you might remember I think that was uh, 20, uh, 2003. 
2004. And uh, so I understand from different uh, counseling and recovery that I've been through how important that is. And I had experience in Bethlehem and realized the different things you can do wrong. And so I said, can you just direct the trauma recovery people that are starting to show up towards me? I could like to facilitate and help. If we've been already discovered some very useful booklets uh, that are just uh, first aid for people in trauma, steps, practical steps you can take. And what's interesting, there's a really great booklet for small children, because who's coming out of Ukraine? The men between ages 18 and 50 are not allowed out. So you're getting a lot of mothers and small children. Uh, and there's, uh, uh, we got drawn to our attention a, a children's trauma aid book that's got coloring in it that helps the children understand what they've lost, what their feelings are. So we're working with that. Uh, we're uh, actively supporting uh, our Ukrainian co-workers who are still inside of Ukraine, in the Western Ukraine, and a convoy of private vehicles has left uh, yesterday morning to go into Kiev to bring relief supplies and to take out these refugees that are pinned down in basements. And uh, they got, it took the whole day to go a three hour drive and they had to uh, offload their cars and then drive away to a shelter. This morning at six in the morning, they got out and they helped people across the bombed out bridge to load the cars and they got more than 140 out uh, just at the end of the afternoon as they were leaving, Russian tanks came into our suburb and uh, even more of the residents have fled to the basement of our church, Earpin Bible Church, 200 people in there tonight. Most of them are not members. Most of the members are already out. This is just uh, people from the community. So the condo association of our apartment has a Viber group and it's amazing to see so many of my neighbors, I only know three or four of them, all saying, go to the Earpin Bible Church. They have a basement. They are actively bringing aid. They can get you out. <laughs> they actually will not leave you behind. It's not like the government. Hmm. <laughs> so I feel so thankful for the testimony and very thankful that just an hour ago, I uh, got the report that the convoy is back to the safe haven in western Ukraine. At the same time, new shelling is happening in our, and the shell hit the building immediately adjacent to our church, shattering some windows in our church. But uh, the people in the basement are still safe. Uh, and uh, the tremendous destruction in our hometown. Yeah, and we were talking earlier, it's not just uh, your hometown and stores you drive by, but like it's next to your church. In fact, uh, you mentioned um, the tra trauma training that you're trying to provide for people mm -hmm. getting out. But um, you've also mentioned that this has been a hard day for you in particular, for both of you, because uh, these are your friends. These are your faith mm -hmm. family. So tell us about mm -hmm. today and, and how we can be aware and even be praying into that situation. Well, we're thankful that the Lord, in, in our personal newsletter, we've been sending out reports about this 
relief column and asking people to pray. And I'm, as soon as we finish, I'm putting out the update to say that the relief column succeeded. It took them two days, but they made it back alive. But yesterday, uh, I was looking in the Viber feed, and there was a large explosion right in the courtyard of our apartment building. And someone went out and took video and put it into the Viber feed. And uh, I don't know what has happened, but the front end of my dear friend, the Orthodox priest of his Mercedes minivan, had been hit and blown completely off the car uh, so that only the back two-thirds of the car remain. And I think that might have been a rocket-propelled grenade. And I'm afraid that he might have been in the front end of the car because he's not responding to my Viber messages. So uh, his wife is Tatiana. His name is Andre. And he truly a joyous uh, person who loves the Lord. And uh, so I pray that we get the news that he wasn't in the car. Uh, but yeah. for many others they're not going to get good news. Uh, and we're deeply saddened. Uh, we're saddened also just for the children, uh, the people in the Russian side, that's just enlisted boys. And yeah. many people you hear in the news, they thought they were just going to a training in Belarus, and now they're out in a situation where they have to kill people who are trying to just defend their own homeland. And sometimes it can be actually a relative. Yeah, we've, we've seen the tragedy of that on the news. Uh, but you also have, just speak briefly to, um, I mean, you, you have a long history in Russia as well. And so as you communicate with friends, how, just how different the, the news is being read there. Yesterday, I took needed to take some day off because the trauma was starting to overwhelm me, and I was home. And it, it, different people started texting me from Russia, asking, "Am I safe? Am I okay?" Um, and but after that, I began to realize that these people are under the impression that Ukraine was the aggressor, and some people told me that it was a lie. Russia never bombed Odessa and uh, start having a, a discussion with them and exchanging emails and texts, I just am uh, grieved to, to, to distress that there could be people who have served next to you, who love the Lord, who are unable to perceive that they are being deceived, uh, who are, they are like... Uh, zombified uh, that they no, they're no longer able to uh, understand that their media is not telling them a truthful message and they believe that the whole world is wrong and only they are right um, and they say you know I don't lie and I'm telling the truth I was in Odessa there was active bombing That's just another burden on you guys, I know, because yeah. these are people you also love and have ministered amongst. Um, yeah, I, I, so I sense it. Pray for the scales of deception to fall off the eyes of people in Russia. Pray for people to have courage, particularly people of faith, to say no to war. 
and to go out and say, we won't do this. And, and even if you don't stop this, there's no way that we can no, uh, continue to feel trust or to vote for the party that is caused this zombification, sent our children in to do greater damage. We thought we were protecting the Donbass people, but now we have inflicted a 20 times larger humanitarian disaster than any of the sad things that have happened in East Ukraine. Help ask the Lord to bring uh, a sobriety uh, to uh, to the populace yeah. in Russia. Yes, let's let's be praying for that. Let's let's just kind of wrap this up and, and let's hear some other things that are, are in particular on your horizon, things that we can be praying for you guys in particular and for the ministries that the Lord has called you to in this season. Our horizon is uh, right now. I am logging about sixteen hours a day, uh, working to coordinate relief efforts and helping the Ukrainians as they themselves are at the front line. Uh, there's just was a great network of Ukrainian people who were already in Poland for employment. They were immigrant laborers that had churches, and those churches are really the first network of helping to respond. Uh, and I think we're going to be at this level of high activity all the way through to the end of the spring. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just uh, really important for us to um, know what our specific role is. There's so much to be done and it's really um, tempting just to jump in and just start getting really involved. Uh, but we know that that's not going to be sustainable. And so we need to find exactly what our niche is and, um, really figure out what we can do in the next three months, at least for me and my daughter, um, until uh, we head back for the summer. She has some obligations. So, mm -hmm. um, And also, literally, our, we, we don't know if our apartment even exists anymore, and um, we just grabbed each like a carry-on and, and came here. And, um, you know, we're blessed. We have family and friends in America. We have always got a roof over our head. Uh, but what we're really grieving for is the people who don't have that backup route, right? But just getting back to us, we don't know if we're going to be able to get back to Ukraine. Um, my daughter doesn't know if she's going to get back to see her school and classmates. And um, we just we just don't know what's next. And we just really need God's guidance uh, in that whole process of thinking through what's where he is leading us as a family. Mm -hmm. Will Ukraine exist? What will Ukraine be after all this? Another thing to, uh, a lot of focus on the disaster and everything, but there's really, uh, at moments like this, is uh, where the gospel oftentimes has a chance to be heard in people's hearts. When COVID yeah. hit, someone sent me a document showing how in church history, the uh, times when there was uh, plagues and pandemics directly corresponded to increase in Christian ministry, which directly corresponded uh, to increase in the percentage of population responding to the gospel. 
even when Christians were dying, maybe at a higher rate for being going into the places. So what's happening here? Uh, that we have a, a start network with the people that were already in Poland for immigrant labor, but we're seeing people come out of refugee being victims and the people that are already Christians that are already active in ministry, we have a real chance to turn them around. And within one day, they switch from being victim to being rescuer, uh, from being positive responder. So uh, just... They're also grieving, though. Yeah. They're also... That's the yeah. remarkable thing. It's... Uh, Mm -hmm. We're seeing people just be very heroic, and even in their grief, they're go they're running back in and trying to help. Um, yeah. It's just a tremendous outpouring of love we're seeing in people's lives. Yeah, I just wanted to share that, and I think also, I just for me, God's redemptive purpose—that's my biggest heart prayer, and that I'm sharing with people—and is really. Um, the bottom line is uh, what Satan has intended for evil, you know, death and dying and destruction. Um, we know that God can raise up out of the ashes new life, and um, he can take his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And we just pray that, though in the physical realm we see things in such a painful, grievous way, in the spiritual realm we'll see that God is, can accomplish his great kingdom purposes. And that's how I want people to pray, is that he will take beauty out of the ashes and bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, amen. Well, that is a good and timely reminder, good place to kind of wrap this up. I was in a meeting this week earlier and someone, it was Craig actually said, people are, when, when this whole thing comes to an end, people are going to ask, what did the church do um, in this moment? And I praise God for for, for you and for just the, your team and, and, and even the, like you said, the Christians that are coming out as, as victims, but then turning this around uh, in spite of the, the weight of the world on their shoulders and on your guys' shoulders, pray for the Holy Spirit's persevering strength in your life, for healing, uh, for grieving and lamenting, um, for protection. And, um, and for the listeners that are, are listening, may, the, may you guys just pray right now for all these things. Also, um, we would, would invite you once again to support the ministry uh, through the East, East Europe Humanitarian Fund that has been started. Uh, I'll leave links on the show notes for that uh, so that people can uh, give to these urgent, physical, spiritual, relational needs that are, are out there. Well, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you, Jim and Ruth, for joining us. We uh, hope to get a, a positive updates from you in the future. But uh, thanks so much for, in your very busy lives, to take some time to just let us know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Thanks for letting us share our story. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, again, if you will go to pioneersineurope.com, uh, you can learn more about how you can give, how you can support and pray, uh, learn more about uh, the mission of pioneers across Europe. So thank you so much. Have a good day.